Well, good morning, Genesis. My name is Michael. I serve uh, here as one of the pastors at Genesis, and today is certainly a unique day for Genesis. Really, it's a unique day for Christian churches all across the globe. As you know, uh, Genesis, along with probably thousands of other churches around the world, have actually postponed gathering in a building. I wanted to be clear, uh, no one has actually canceled church because it would be absolutely impossible to cancel church. The church is not a space or the church isn't a place. The church isn't even a program. The church is the people of God on mission with God. But what is different today is that many churches, including Genesis, right now is that we've moved the place from where we gather from a building to maybe people's living rooms or for us what we're doing in an online platform right now. Now, I'm guessing that many of you are sitting at home wearing your most comfortable clothing possible, streaming this service uh, from either your phone or your tablet or your computer or your TV. And one of the first things that I actually wanted to just say that I'm very thankful and grateful for is our tech and our creative teams here at Genesis. For the past uh, six and a half years, we have been able to offer live streaming every single Sunday live streaming of our services. Now, the primary reason that we started streaming our services six plus years ago was really twofold, specifically for those that couldn't come because they were at home sick or maybe they were traveling and we wanted to create a platform for them to still participate in our worship gathering. But never in a million years did I think that everyone would be at home right now streaming because of a worldwide global pandemic. Now, the reason uh, that we decided to postpone gathering in our space today was really very simple, really threefold. Number one is, we love you. That's it. We simply love you, and we wanted to make sure that you are being kept as safe and healthy as possible. The second reason was, we wanted to love our neighbor as best as we possibly could. And from what the CDC and the World Health Organization has instructed people, uh, that the best way to stop the spread of this virus, uh, especially to those who are more susceptible to the virus, was social, dis social distancing, meaning not gathering in large groups. And then the third reason that we decided to move from gathering in a space to gathering online is local authorities. They specifically asked that churches uh, or just gatherings that are bigger than maybe 200 people would choose not to gather. Now, when Genesis gathers, when we have all of our adults, students, and kids, we're about a thousand people. So we wanted to honor and respect what local authorities have requested of us. Now, to be completely honest with you, up until about a month and a half ago, uh, I knew absolutely nothing about this virus. And to me, what was really convicting about that thought was simply this. I often don't pay attention to the things, I don't often, uh, I don't, I often don't pay attention to the things until they impact the spaces and places that I dwell in. Now, this might be a big generalization, but I think this is true for most Americans, specifically most Christian Americans. Until it crawls up on our very front yard, we don't give much thought or attention to what might be actually impacting people that are around us. Now, if this is true of you, 
like it has been true for me, what the Bible has something to say to us to actually challenge that line of thinking or challenge that attitude or challenge that mentality. Uh, In a letter that a man named Paul wrote to a very small and young struggling church uh, in Philippi, he said this, let each of you look not only to his own interest, but also to the interest of others. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interest of others. Now, when I read that verse this past week, what felt like was a serious gut punch to me. I mean, I read that verse and I just felt like, wow, a wave of conviction came over me and it led me to do some serious soul searching. Now, as the verse states, there's nothing wrong with looking out for your own interest. But the problem is when our self-interest become the only interest we're actually interested in. Let me say that again. The problem is when our self-interest become the only interest we're actually interested in. And I'm not sure there is anything that reveals where our true interest lies than our response to a global pandemic being declared. Uh, I'm guessing like many of you, uh, I have been reading and I have been learning as much as I possibly can about the coronavirus. Now, this microscopic virus was actually first discovered back in the early 60s. There's actually 69 different species of this virus, seven of which actually have an impact on human beings. Now, the general population became very aware of this family of viruses in 2002 when a strand of this virus, which became known as the SARS virus, uh, actually impacted a lot of people in Eastern Asia. Uh, And it was basically SARS because it just means simply severe acute respiratory syndrome. There's roughly 800 people or 8,000 people that were infected and nearly 900 people died from that virus. About 10 years later, there was another strand of the coronavirus that first emerged in Saudi Arabia and became known as the MERS virus, which just simply meant the Middle East Respiratory Syndrome. 2,400 people were impacted by that virus, and about 800 of those 2,400 people died. And now, today, in 2020, we are dealing with the virus that is referred to as SARS-CoV-2, with the disease actually being called COVID-19, Coronavirus Disease 2019. Now, I realize that my initials are MD, but I am absolutely not a medical doctor, nor am I a virologist. Uh, But what I have been reminded about when I'm learning and reading and researching about this virus is this. We are not as strong as we think we are. We are not as invincible as we think we are. And we are not in control as we often like to think that we are. One small microscopic virus has served to remind all of humanity that we are very fragile, that we are very weak, and we are very finite. In the span of literally just a few weeks, the global economy has been taken a huge hit. The travel and tourism industry has been absolutely crippled. And the sporting industry, things like the NBA, the Major League Baseball, National League Hockey, golf, even the uh, Boston Marathon, 
all of these things have come to a complete standstill. Now, those examples are just what I would call macro-level industries. But what's happening at a macro level is having a tremendous impact on a micro level, meaning all of the local and small businesses and industries that depend on the macro commerce is getting absolutely crushed right now. Now, as I've been reading and learning about the virus and paying attention about the impact that this virus is having on our global world, I've also been paying attention to the messages that have been coming through from the faith community. Now, by and large, many of these messages have been very encouraging and very hope-filled. I think the message that I've heard most frequently is, fear not, God is in control. Now, it's hard to argue with that message because it's absolutely true. This is, in fact, the, the message in the Scriptures through and through. Whether it's a world pandemic, a violent terrorist attack, or maybe a devastating natural disaster, as Christians, we are never to respond to these things, or really anything for that matter, in fear, but in great faith, because God is still God. He will always be God, and God is always in control of all things at all times, which means for you and I as a Christian, fear should never be our reality. There's a man in the Old Testament whose name is Isaiah. He was known as a prophet of God. And one of the specific verses in Isaiah where God was trying to encourage his people who were struggling quite a bit, this is what the Lord said to his people in Isaiah. Don't be afraid, for I am with you. Don't be discouraged, for I am your God. I will strengthen you and help you. I will hold you up with my victorious right hand. Now, I'm hoping like me, you find great comfort in that one verse and the many that are like this verse throughout all of Scripture. That God is in complete control. God is God and He will always be God. But if we are being completely honest, many, and I'm not saying all, but many right now are in absolute panic mode. And this is true of both Christians as well as non-Christians. There is a lot of fear. There's a lot of anxiety. There is a lot of worry. And even I've seen there is a lot of anger because of so much that is unknown right now. I mean, one trip to the grocery store, specifically to the toilet paper aisle, and you will see a lot of fear, a lot of anxiety, and a lot of worry that is happening with people. So as I've been watching our response to all that is happening and all that might begin to happen in the coming days and weeks, the one question that I have been wrestling with is this. If the message is faith, not fear, then how would those who have no idea who God is, how would those who don't know what God is like, how would those who don't know that God does care, how would those who don't know that God is good and that God is control, in control, how would that person come to see and know the God that we're called to put our faith in? In a time like this, how would someone who does not know who God is, how would that person come to see and know the God that we're called to put our faith in? Would they come to know and believe in God just because we're not walking around in great fear and panic right now? 
Again, I want to be very clear that in days like this, we're called to be people of faith, not people of fear. But that being said, I'm not sure someone who does not know God would come to me and specifically say, Michael, I see that you are not stockpiling toilet paper right now. You must know God. I don't think anyone is going to come to me and say, Michael, I notice that you're not walking around in a hazmat suit, hazmat suit right now. You must be one who has great faith in God. I'm not afraid of heights, but I can promise you that no one is going to deduce from me not being afraid of heights that I must know and love God. My point is simply this. It's not what we're not afraid of that would help people see God. Rather, it's how we love people that people will see God. I want to say that again. It's not what we're not afraid of that's going to help someone see God. What's going to help someone see God is how we love people. That is how people will see God. Now, clearly, we have the opportunity to demonstrate the love of God every single day, no matter where we are, no matter who we are with. But when the world around us seems to be filled with a lot of anxiety and a lot of worry, anger and a lot of fear, we have the privilege as those who know the love of God to enter into those spaces and places of fear, worry, and anxiety and be tangible expressions of God's great love for them. This is a great question that a religious leader posed to Jesus. It says in Matthew 22, Teacher, which is the most important commandment in the law of Moses? This is a great question because really what he's asking is, Jesus, what matters most to God? And Jesus gives a great question, a great answer. In Matthew 22, this is how Jesus responds. You must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. Now, maybe you've heard that response from Jesus before. Maybe you're even familiar with that answer of just love God with all of who you are. It's certainly very clear, and it's a very challenging response that Jesus gives. But for many people, I don't think we read what Jesus actually says next, because what Jesus says next, he says is equally as important. In the very next verse, verse 39 and a second is equally important. Love your neighbor as yourself. A second is equally important. Love your neighbor as yourself. One question was asked, and two equally important answers were given by Jesus. Now, I don't know about you, but for me, I've noticed that it's so much easier to focus on the first answer. I like growing in my love for God. I like growing in how I can learn how to love God with all my heart, mind, soul, and strength. And I think I like it because it's largely personal and it's not messy. But if the second answer that Jesus gives is equally important, well, then I can't say in good conscience that I've treated it as equally in how I live my everyday moments. My question for you would be, well, how about you? If the second command is equally important as the first, well then how are you doing at practically loving your neighbor as you love yourself? For example, when you were out buying a year's supply of toilet paper, did it cross your mind that I should be probably getting some for my neighbor as well? 
or when you were stockpiling food for the next six months, did it cross your mind to ask your neighbor, hey, is there anything that I can get for you while I'm out getting these things for myself? I think if we're being honest, many of us were most likely not thinking like that because we either don't know who our neighbor is or if we do, we don't really know the needs that our neighbor actually has. Now, it would be an understatement to say that we are living in a really unique time right now, meaning we have a really unique opportunity to enter into that space and place where there's a lot of fear and anxiety and worry and love our neighbor as we love ourselves. Or as Paul mentioned, the verse I read earlier, look not only to our own interests, but also to the interest of others. And I think this is where many people get stuck. It's not that you don't want to love your neighbor, it's you just don't know how to love your neighbor. And so this morning, I just wanted to finish our time together by sharing with you a very practical and tangible way in which Jesus shows us how we can love our neighbor well. The story is in John chapter 13, when Jesus did for his neighbors, his disciples, what they were unwilling to do for him. This is just a few hours before Jesus was about to die. A few hours before Jesus is going to go to the cross And he demonstrates just how much he loves his neighbor, his disciples, and the very thing that he does here in John 13. Starting at verse 4, he got up from the table, took off his robe, wrapped a towel around his waist, poured water into a basin. Then he began to wash the disciples' feet, drying them with the towel he had around him. So practical, but yet so powerful. The Savior of the world bends the knee before his neighbors, and he takes the very feet of those that would soon betray him, deny him, and completely desert him in order to wash their feet clean. Now, not to be missed, this is Jesus loving in the most practical way. This is Jesus loving in a very sacrificial way, and this is Jesus loving in an incredibly unconditional way. And after this display of love, Jesus asked them one very specific question in verse 11. Do you understand what I have just done for you? He asked them. One question. When he loved his neighbors, the question was, do you understand? Do you get it? Do you understand what I have just done for you? Jesus doesn't even give him time to answer the question because he follows up this question with a very simple but very transformational command that he gave to them. In verse 15, I've given you an example to follow. Do as I've done for you. What I've just done for you, I've given you this as an example. Do as I have done for you. See, the example that we have in the world right now is to self-protect and it's to self-preserve. But the example that Jesus gives of humbly serving his neighbor in a practical way, in a very sacrificial way, and in a very unconditional way. And what I have been learning afresh uh, this past week, and yes, I did write it in my journal like this, our understanding of what Jesus has done will be demonstrated when we do for others what Jesus has done for us. 
our understanding of what Jesus has done will be demonstrated when we do for others what Jesus has done for us. Maybe another way to say that is, I'm going to actually display to others that I really get it. Meaning, I get what Jesus has done for me when I finally begin doing for other people what he did for me. Practical, sacrificial, and incredibly unconditional. Now, you might say to yourself, well, Jesus never washed my feet. And I would say, well, guess what? He's never washed my feet either. But Jesus has actually done something far greater than washing our feet. Far greater. Hours after Jesus loved his neighbors, his disciples, in practical, sacrificial, unconditional ways, Jesus went to the cross in order to wash away for all time past, present, and future sins. Jesus went to the cross in order to pay the penalty for my sin, for your sin, for the sins of humanity. And Jesus did all of that on the cross for one reason, so that you and I could know God, both now and throughout eternity. And in view of the cross, you can hear Jesus asking the same questions that he asked his disciples 2,000 years ago. Do you understand what I've just done for you? Like, do you get it? Do you truly understand what I have done for you? As I have shown you the full extent of my love, we now have the opportunity to demonstrate the full extent of His love in the way that you and I will love our neighbor. Now, it's safe to say that not any one of us here has any clue what's going to happen tomorrow and what will happen in the coming weeks. But if you're a follower of Christ... There is one thing that is crystal clear. We are called to love our neighbor as we love ourselves. We're not called to jump into self-protection mode, self-preservation mode. We are called to be like Christ, to love our neighbor practically, sacrificially, and unconditionally. Now, there's going to be two ways that I want to finish and share with you of how you and I can begin to do this. And number one would simply be this. Check in with your neighbor right now and just ask them a question. Do you need anything? Is there anything that I can do for you that you need help with? Do I, is there maybe groceries that I can go and get for you? The neighborhood where Kyla and I live, we have a lot of people in our, community, our immediate neighborhood that are seven years and older. And so we've asked our neighbors, can we do some grocery? Kyla's already dropped off some groceries from our neighbors who can't get out. You and I have the opportunity just specifically with the people right around us. And if it's not in your neighborhood, maybe it's your coworkers, maybe it's your classmates. But ask your neighbor a very specific question. Do you need anything? Because I would love to serve you in that way. And when the neighbor looks to you and asks you the question, why would you do this? Why would you want to go shopping for me? Why would you want to provide for me in this time of anxiety, worry, and fear? Your answer is so simple, because this is exactly what Jesus has done for me. The second way that we can love our neighbor practically, sacrificially, and unconditionally is this. As a church, as Genesis as a church, we are going to help restock the food pantry for Woburn Social Concern. 
As you can imagine, uh, there is now a shortage of food supplies at the food pantry. So we as a church are going to do the best that we possibly can to make sure that we single-handedly restock that food pantry so they are not struggling for food right now and food donations. And so whether you want to take food personally yourself to Woburn Social Concern, that would be great. If you want to drop off food here at Genesis this week, we will take food for you to the food pantry to make sure that that pantry is fully stocked. In this season of anxiety and worry and fear, we are going to love our neighbor for one reason, because we really want people to see God. We really want people to see that there is a God that is worth putting our faith in. I'm going to invite our executive pastor, Jason Corbin, to come up and to pray for us and then just share some practical things that are happening at Genesis in the coming days.